Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we welcome you to episode 128. And we're going to talk about the command that Jesus gave that we're pretty persuaded none of us comes even close to obeying. Yeah, there's. And it's potent. It's it's an important. There's a lot of. uh, It's important, and there's a lot of those where you might think, yeah, there's. I've heard dozens of those. When you like, like every page of of the gospel, you go, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't meet up to that. Yeah. But this one is like, I didn't even, like, no one's even trying. It seems like, like yeah, this it's one, not a value. It's exactly not a value, or or uh, you know, maybe you get an A for effort in a lot of categories. Not in this one. Not in this one. Not in this one. And and we believe that there might be. Uh, uh, what a novel concept that, that God has a supernatural secret for us in this. <laughs> and so uh, we believe that perhaps there's never been a more important time than the present to get this right. So uh, stick around if we have got you confused or you're still wondering what in the world we're talking about. It's going to make sense shortly. And uh, I think you're going to be you're going to it's worth the listen. We we really believe this could be an important thing. God might be saying to us even as a nation. Yeah. Of believers. So. Uh, not that we're a nation of believers, but of a, a, a group of believers in this in nation. In this nation, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, but before that, it's story time, John, and you're up. Uh, so this will be a little sneak preview of our topic. I didn't do this on purpose. I've been wanting to tell this story, but okay. but it just so happens to fit nicely in this uh, in this topic. So this was uh, the night I decided to go to Northwest University. Another one of these big moments. Oh. So we had a little under a year before this. We had moved Bethany to Northwest, mm-hmm. and the whole time I'm thinking I'd be freaking out if I was Bethany. That's the whole time as we're moving her in, as going we're, through orientation, yeah, as we're setting her up into the dorm room, and and then doing the freshman we, games. We're like, oh, it's time for us to leave now. Yeah, yeah. But even, even other than that, even the freshman games, the, the the dorm, the everything. I'm like, I'm like, no, poli- no, no. Thank you to to, to, to all of this. <laughs> Because and, of the social anxiety of it, or yeah, what? and just the commitment, the leaving home. I really didn't want to leave home. Yeah, I was, I was really, really uh, uh, anxious about that. And so I had been going to South Beach Sound Community College at the time, and doing really well uh, grade wise there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, so I had, <laughs> I had a TV in my room at this point. And uh, I would fall asleep with something on the TV. I've always liked it. I've loved falling asleep with people talking in the room. And I don't know. I, I like noise when I'm sleeping. And more than just a fan because it's more than just white noise. It feels like, like the world's going on without me. So it's, it's a weird thing. I don't know why. I've always it liked weird. it. It is weird. And your TV almost never turned off. This particular one at the time was broken. So that if I had turned it off, it actually would take about a day or so to. And I don't come think back that's on. correlation. I think that's causation. No, it's because cool, it was my grandparents' TV. It was broken when they had it. That's why I got. Oh, it. that's true. So, so if you wanted to watch nice something, try. you had to turn it on thirty minutes before your yeah, show because this giant blue section would come up <laughs> and it would slowly fade away. So I just resigned to leaving it on all the time. Anyway, so I'm watching a sitcom, and. It wasn't the TV you needed. It's the TV you deserve. <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate. I, I, I was not a complainer about this. No, you Free weren't. TV. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, and part of this, I talked either last week or a few weeks ago about the, the Tilly house, the house that we were in at this time. Loved that thing. I didn't want to leave there. 
love the property. So anyway, uh, I'm watching the sitcom and it's the series finale of the sitcom. And, uh, the show, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'm a little embarrassed about it cause the show is so, you know, every now and again, raunchy. The show is how I met your mother. Oh, you know, okay. So this is not an endorsement not of the show. Not occasionally raunchy. That show, I never could, I never could make it through an entire episode because of that. I know, and I remember you saying that when I was about this age. I think I must have been. I was nineteen at this time, or or almost nineteen. I would have been. Your tolerance for raunchy was way higher then. I guess than it so. Is now. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so, so, so so this was well, the end of the whole series. End of the whole series. The final episode. Okay. And the whole show, similar to a show like Friends, if you've seen yeah. it, it's 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 a a very tight dank group of adult friends, and you know just uh, getting into. You know, having fun escapades and and but being there in in a wholesome way, unlike a show like Seinfeld, which is you know pretty bleak in this way. But they're there for each other's entire lives. But I was watching that, and I was sitting there. And if you're one of my friends in Olympia, this is not about you. I love you. But <laughs> I was thinking like I had that. I remember having that in Colorado. Much different, you know, much younger, middle through middle school. Tribe of buddies. Tribe of buddies. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I was thinking like well, I don't really have that here in the same way. And if I don't, all these people on this show and, and a lot of the adults that I know in real life that have these friends met them in college. Right. And I had some acquaintances at, at uh, SPS, but I was like, the only way I'm really going to get this, you know, the only way I'm going to have a good chance of getting this is going away from home and living a different place with people my age. And trapped doing, on a campus where you're all in this same cultural moment. Yeah. And doing the college thing. Yeah. And, uh. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll just, I got to go to Northwest. And it was really, really a sad moment. I was, I, it broke my heart because I didn't want to go. But I'd, you knew you needed to. I knew I needed to if I wanted that group. A better good. A, a better good, exactly. If I wanted, you know, well, I don't know what that, what that phraseology is. It's really for, interesting but. that it broke your heart rather than ignited new hope. So you, you were, that's really interesting to me. Well, it, it's funny looking back on it that I didn't think, well, that's not worth it. It means that I must have really, be, really been lonely. I must have really wanted that enough to not, to th- not second guess the decision. But I knew what it cost to go away. Really, it's just it was the the finality of it. It was yeah. well, once I leave, even if I come home, quote yeah, it's unquote, never the same. I'm never coming home again. Yeah. Like that's that was the the end of my. I can see that. You know, it's interesting. I saw a dis- a definition today for maturity. Okay. Maturity is when you're willing to do something you don't want to do for a good reason. There you go. That's it's, good. It's the maturity is the ability to choose to do the thing you don't want to do. Yeah. Well, then, yeah, this might have been my first yeah, ever mature a, decision. That was a mature moment. And I made a heck of a friend group when I was there, and I had a great time. And unlike a sitcom, and you can't really even imagine your life today without that group. No. Well, and with my without my wife and just the other ways I grew. Even if I went away from home and didn't make any long lasting friendships. I still would have grown just being away from home and having to make my own daily decisions. Yeah, and, right. Um, so it was a great decision. And for some reason, that moment stuck with me. The actual, the night. Yeah, that, that night, that show, that godforsaken show, <laughs> helped you reach a personal decision of maturity. Yeah, and it was, you know, I still stay up very late. So this was this was probably, you know, 1230 or 1 a.m. Yeah. Um, a weird, weird moment, but it was very much ironed into my yeah. my memory. And so what we're talking about today... To segue into the, the way this kind of oddly fits sure, sure. is uh, we're going to be talking about John 14. It's actually John 17. 17. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. And yeah. uh, this is Jesus praying for his disciples not to be betrayed. And John 14 through 17 is what's called the final discourse. Uh-huh. 
Um, so right after the Last Supper, Jesus has this long conversation and then concluding that with a prayer. So in John 17, um, you know, people call the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah. I think that's actually the disciples' prayer because they said, teach us to pray. So he and teaches he, them this prayer. Yeah. Whereas John 17 really is the Lord's Prayer. This yeah. is him praying uh, on his final final episode of prayer uh, and teaching to the disciples. like the dying man telling you these are the most important things. Yeah. So uh, do you want to read that for us? Just that, that chunk in 17? Yeah. So um, in John uh, 17, um, Jesus prays that the Father would glorify himself in this final hour of Jesus' life. And then Jesus starts to pray for his disciples. So this is about verse 6 or so. I've revealed uh, you to those whom you gave me. Uh, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. Now they know everything that you've given me comes from you, for I gave them the words. And then he goes down. Here we go. Verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. And then dropping down to verse 20. It's a long prayer. In verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. This is the big part of this that grabbed you. Mm-hmm. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so uh, he says, I, uh, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Mm-hmm. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Yeah. So this was, this is that uh, more than just close friends. What, what jumped out to me about this was this is because I see, you know, the, the chapter headers yeah. in, in scripture. This one says Jesus Praise for his disciples. Praise for all believers. For all believers. And I see that and I go, oh man. Oh yeah, before that, he prays for his disciples, then yeah. he prays for all believers. Yeah. So I'm like, here we freaking go. I'm like, I'm like rubbing my hands together. I'm like, what do you got for me? Yeah. And he says, you know, what he chooses to say right there is that you should, that I pray that you would all be one within me as I'm in the Father and one to the extent that me and the Father are one. Yeah. So that you guys will be one the same way that me and the Father are one. Yeah. And that this unity, this oneness and unity would be a reality. And an evangelical reality. Yes. The, the world would look at that and go, well, that's not That's normal. extraordinary. Yeah. That's not normal. Yeah. So And so what struck out about this to me, again, among all the other huge, uh, the high bars of Jesus' teaching, you must be perfect as I am perfect. Uh, you know, if your right eye causes you to sin, you must pluck it out. If You must right. hate your father and mother to be my disciple, to follow me. This one... There's not even an attempt in the Western church I that I've seen, or at least I look at that and I go, and I look around and I think back in all my years in the church and I go, where is that? Like I couldn't even, I, I, I couldn't get a whiff of it. In your mind, I want to make sure I understand what yeah. you're saying. In your mind, your entire 27 years of existence, you've never seen anybody even attempt to have this. 26, but, uh, but it's okay. You were 26 close. years. You haven't seen anybody even want this choose this yeah when, is because, that what you're saying yes and so it was and it's funny because even in my own heart it's in the beginning he says that um you know 
that in me, you know, we would be one with them. And I go, oh, yeah, big thumbs up. Mm-hmm. I, I love that idea of me being one with the, the son and the father and me with my brothers and sisters here. And then I go, what does that even look like? I've never right. even seen that. Right. Because I felt um, I've had church family. I've had people that I go that are basically like, in practical terms, aunt and uncles. Like, like you know, they're yeah. that close to the family. But I've never felt oneness. And the way he relates it is to something that no one, I thought no one had felt outside of very successful intimate marriages. You know, the way him and the father are one. They're one being. You could argue, I think, that Christian marriages are not outperforming non-Christian marriages. Yeah. Because this oneness does not exist. Mm-hmm. That if this oneness were, in fact, even in marriages more common, we would see a lower divorce rate. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. So to be a little bit of a coloring this, but because I, I'm hearing people maybe objecting in their conscience. No, no, no. Sure. This is real. This happens. I would say um, you might not have always known it, but there have been degrees of this. So, for example, I think of my friend Chuck Stecker. Like if any one of my children got their foot in a jam in Colorado and I'm not there, I could call Chuck and he would drop whatever he's doing and he would come to the rescue in that moment no matter what it is. Sure. Well, and, and it, it would definitely be safe to say that as a child, I would not be aware of these realities to the extent that you would be. Right. As far as, you know, leading the family and knowing, and knowing what resources around you could and could not yeah. reliably access. So in, in honor of um, accuracy sure, and not speaking for others, we could say with absolute clarity, you would say in this moment, I've never seen this. I've never even desired this until mm-hmm. I now see it and go, oh, this is this is the thing he's saying. He's praying this for us and that this is an important thing. Yet I've not I've not wanted it hard enough to pursue it. Um, your you know, your college story was an example of I know I need this tribe and maybe I'll get it there. Mm-hmm. But even that wasn't a cry for unity. It wasn't a cry for oneness necessarily. Yeah. And it's. It one especially in the Gospel of John, I think it comes across how much uh, Jesus really enjoys these specific men. It's not obviously he loves the world; that's why he's here. But those are his talk about his friends, his prayer for them specifically before his prayer for all believers. He really loved these guys. So there's almost a distinction between you know your friends, your brothers, and this. You know, I would agree with that. That yeah. this isn't about loving the whole world with with oneness and unity. Right. It's about loving your brothers and sisters in Christ with oneness and unity. Yeah. So, but you know, I I imagine, you know, in the the years of Jesus' ministry, the nights that they would be sitting around a fire and just laughing, just like you know, I, I had with my friends in college, just right. just goofy goofy nights. So that that's what I uh, coveted the night I sat, I decided to go to Northwest. Right. This oneness feels like an entirely n- different plane. Okay, an so, elevation. Yeah. So um, what would that oneness contain that you haven't experienced even in the tribe? What what would be added that you, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm asking? Yeah. Well, What's I guess, missing? For one, because the Trinity is still a mystery, that for him to say that he wants that level for us is almost an unknown quantity. Quality. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh, probably both. Quality probably both. Quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I don't even know in practical terms... Uh, what that looks like. There was a second um, 
that that's the first that night when I was reading that uh, John 17, it stood out to me. And then when it was kind of compounded on, then I got this kind of practical element. And that was this last Sunday mm-hmm. during uh, it was one child Sunday. We had a guest speaker, uh, James Grout, and he was talking about Luke chapter two. How and Jesus' parents were really terrible parents, <laughs> his, which he made he a, jokes about tongue it. in cheek. Yeah, yeah. But so he, he when they forget him in in, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, so they're a day's journey away yeah. before they realize he's not with them. And the reason for this was because of their massive tribe. They caravan to Jerusalem for Passover. I think it was. Yeah, with a big group of people, all, all their friends, connected and friends, family, cousins, neighbors. They all made a trip together. So kind of Home Alone style, they thought, well, I thought you had him. They thought someone in the gang had Jesus. <laughs> Which would be normal-ish for them not to right. see him for an entire day because he's with, his with other parts of the tribe. Yeah. And so he's his point, uh, James Grout's point in this was and about And they would assume ministry. that they weren't the only ones who were noticing whether Jesus was there or not. Someone else would have been like, hey, I would have seen, seen him. Hey, come on, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, come on. We're all leaving now. That, that others would also be looking out for him yeah. and feel free. To rally him into the caravan. Because it was that, James Grout's point in this was about youth ministry, was about the whole tribe pouring into kids, not just sequestered youth ministry. Yeah. But this was when I went, oh, so in that culture, that is what practically they might have understood this a little better of of community, of that, at least that level of practical intimacy, of trust and responsibility is was much more of a reality there. And Jesus was 12 years old at the time. Yeah. And so it's like me telling you about Chuck. The difference is you would have known Chuck and Chuck, yeah. would, you, this, this would have, you would have known that this connection existed and you would have felt connected to those families. And I would say right now, it makes me think of this. There are some young adults who feel that way, who would uh, walk into my house without knocking. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, that sounded facetious. I mean, actually, that that's good that they feel that way. Yeah, I think I think because we have said to them, if you ever end up somewhere in the middle of the night you don't want to be, call us. We'll come get you. Um, I've given out, Sue and I have given out little business cards to the high school seniors with our cell numbers on there. If you're ever in a tight spot, you don't feel safe, and you don't want to call your parents, call us. That's awesome. Um, very few ever take us up on that, but there are some who have believed us. I think the right. the point of nobody does this and it, and we'll talk about why on both the offer and, um, uh, receiving side, mm-hmm. there's reasons on both sides why we don't do this, but, uh, some have actually done it. And, and, um, I think of one young man right now who the other day I'm standing there talking to people. He just walks up and starts hugging me. And I said, what do you need? Nothing. I just wanted to stand next to you. And uh, he just really feels safe and loved. He feels like, you know, I would would be there for him. Yeah, that's great. But that's not normal. Right. And and I think the point is that James Grout was making and that Luke 2 makes is that Jesus' parents weren't negligent. This was the way it was. Right. And so they could reasonably assume that Jesus was in the posse. Yeah, that is that is the the saying. It takes a village in in real time. That is that's actually what that is. Yeah, and obviously the, in the story that system fails, but that's not really the point of the story. Uh, and so then I start thinking culturally, and uh, and the way that our society now works. I, when when I was reading originally uh, John seventeen, I thought back to our um, you know units. So the way I grew up, and I do think going talking about this now. 
I don't want to, growing up in the church, I, feel, I might have been blind to what this How much of that was available exactly. to you. Yeah. And so my wife's upbringing was different in that she had extended family geographically very close. So they, she was with her large extended family every week, weekend, you know, every Sunday or however, mm-hmm. and mine was spread out. So it felt to me growing up that I was in a pod. I was in my immediate family pod and we were either close or not close with other pods. And we're all in, you know, it's just kind of like, if you imagine a microscopic view of like an amoeba or, or like a plant or something, you ever, you know, those slides, those Petri dishes, it's just a bunch of little of, of, uh, of things that touch, but they do not overlap. Exactly. And so when I think of unity, I think, well, what would a culture look like where, and, and then I thought, and then, um, talking about Luke two, this is what that culture would look like where the circle is actually further encompassing. It actually is bigger than your immediate family and you have that tribe. And so then I think meaning the little pod instead of it's a little pod, it's actually a bigger pod. It's just a big pod. Yeah. Without those barriers. And there aren't boundaries. So then I think in today's culture where we don't live, you know, it's, it's not agrarian. We're not in like, you know, I don't live with all of my cousins and friends that their parents, my parents knew their parents and their parents knew their parents like way back hundreds of years. Right. You know, I don't, I can't point to a well and say, this is the well that Abraham, right. you know, drank at you know, a thousand years ago. Right. There's nothing like that here. So is there hope to achieve that prayer? And I say achieve as if it wouldn't be a miracle of the spirit, but, but you know what I mean? To get there to that unity in a, a very individualized um, culture. Uh, American culture. Yeah. I think um, what comes to my mind is what Christians do unite around. Hmm. And typically, church uh, Christians and churches unite around what they're against. Yeah. So um, if they're against certain political things or if they're for something, but they unite around causes or uh, stances, moral or political stances. Sure. And then those those break up because there comes a point where there's a division at some level, and it's more um, I would call it transactional. We 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 have an agreement that works for both of us, and so we're for the same thing. And if there's a division, then we would just part company because uh, the transaction is not working anymore. Right. Versus low, low barrier a, to entry, low barrier of exit. It's that's just right. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to describe that. And so. Uh, because it's low barrier in, low barrier out, mm-hmm. um, I don't feel an obligation to stay in the relationship just because it is a relationship. Right. And so uh, what I'm trying to figure out is um, what did all this call you to? Like what what isn't there that you think should be there? What What would this be? How could this be different? Well, I start to, you know, I go back to the, the early church for like, Jesus is obviously our model for the perfect human. And it's, it's trickier when you think about maybe, uh, uh, parenting or, or more even further human things. Then you started looking at Paul in the early church. And so, so here, obviously I talk about Jesus and his disciples. That's very intimate and, and close. And there's oneness and, there. And yet there was a constant debate among those disciples as to who of them was the greatest. Yeah. And who's going to get to sit right next to Jesus in the same gospel. You know, when Jesus is to them, not making any sense, Peter leans over to John and says, ask him what he means about that. Right. Like, like Peter right. did not feel comfortable asking Jesus what he meant. He needed John to ask. There were layers. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. and so, so then when I look at the early church, cause I think, well, they, would have at least attempted this. Like they would, they would know what this looks like. And they're in that same culture, that, that similar culture. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I see the, 
uh, outwardly expressed, explicitly expressed love of Paul in his letters to the churches, like in mm-hmm. the church in Corinth, uh, his letters to Timothy, uh, very, very verbal. And uh, here, especially, I would say, especially among guys, but maybe that's not, maybe this happens to a lot of women friendships too. There's not a ton of that, you know, just because we don't want to be sissies, I guess. I don't know. But, but you know, the start of Timothy, uh, Timothy, my dear son, and yeah. talks about how Timothy cried when Paul left him. And he says, you know, that's, that's okay. And he, and he, I don't know. And, and then when he talks about the church in Corinth, he's, he brags on them and he says that they are his glory in God. Like they are actually, right. they are uh, so valuable to him. And I think he's calling this out more than acknowledging what is. Because you mean Jesus or Paul? Paul. Paul. Uh, and Jesus, too, because um, this is not normal. Right. Um, division has been everywhere. The Corinthian church was a mess. Yeah. Uh, a lot of conflict and division. And so uh, humans inherently stink at this. But yeah. But this is what this call is. And what blows my mind is the bar that's set, that you would be one like me and the Father are one. Right. That's That's the... That is the what? What? what, what, what? You know, uh, that seems uh, impossible. And so, you know, Jesus does this a lot, where he says a crazy, outlandish thing to make a point. You know, camel through the eye of a needle. The uh, uh, well, I mean, even if if you're right, I cause you to sin, pluck it out. You know that these are large figures of speech. Yeah, is this another one of those? But he's not teaching a lesson; he's praying. He's praying that this would actually happen. And I think uh, what I want to start thinking about is how is this even possible? I, what are the questions in your mind? You're, I think when you, know, when you talked to me about, let's do an episode about this, your thing was um, nobody even thinks like this. Nobody even daydreams about this. Well, I've never, I've never heard a sermon about this. Yeah. You know. Uh, nobody, nobody seems to want this. Yeah. And um, and even to the extent I've heard of communities that do this and they're viewed with some suspicion, like, oh, that's kind of a weird insular cult. cultish community. Yeah, because yeah. then yeah. they start saying, well, you want to marry Lindsay? We should all talk about that. And right. you need the blessing of all of us to do that or else you shouldn't do it. Right. And, and then that my feels Ameri- controlling. Or- feels controlling. And my American individualist brain says, well, we're both adults. We'll do whatever the heck we want. Thank you very much. Which I have said to young people who have a. A, a, a love interest and everyone in their life who is devoted to them says this is a bad idea yeah. whoop, whoop, whoop. warning <laughs> warning and they ignore them all yeah and i ask them are you sure you should ignore people whose only agenda is their great love for you what agenda do they have that you think can't be trusted yeah and and yet you refuse to hear these people who have so much invested in you so that's that fierce individual in all of us. You're not the boss of me. I get to pick my life, and I don't want to submit my life to the view or the opinions or the control of others. Yeah, this is a this is a very significant problem. And you asked, so you asked my specific questions, right? Like yeah. what is? So uh, one would be, they all involve the same nature, but one would be why haven't I heard this, you know, like, like as a, as a, as a thing we should pursue, right. As, as something to strive for the way we strive for all other holiness, you know, or all other, uh, righteousness or, or glory to God. And, uh, two, so it's almost, uh, 
it's it's a challenge to the faith almost of of, of this being a spirit thing. I'm struggling to, to to get the word. So basically, it is a work of the spirit, and and and, and it is. But so if I look at the history of of church, right, mm-hmm. and I were to look for when this happened, and it doesn't happen very often, then yeah. I go, well, what went wrong there? Yeah, that that's my big question is is why don't we see this? And the way a, we might see big movements of charity and caring for the poor, right, those, those are documented. Right. Why hasn't this just emerged in some activity of the spirit in a group? Exactly. And I would and I would say it has, and it gets contaminated. Mm. There's a book, a little book Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote called Life Together. And his whole point in that book is this is something everybody wants, nobody knows how to have, and it's because of our inherent selfishness and need for control. So these are real problems in how to experience this life together. There are, and I wish I had the number right, there are, you know, a large number of of the one another's in the New Testament. And oh, sure, you've heard sure. these preached incessantly. Love one another, pray for one another, carry one another's burdens, um, uh, encourage one another, provoke one another to love and good deeds. And yeah. the word provoke means to jab with a sharp stick. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have this obligation, this call to the one another's. And you hear the one another's talked about a ton. What I think's missing is a culture that values more than a transactional relationship with one another. Sure. So um, you might try to provoke uh, a church, a co-church person in your church family. You may try to provoke them to love and good deeds because they have bitterness in their heart. They've been betrayed and they will not forgive. Yeah. And you may start to insert yourself there as the scriptures would call you to, to say, hey, you need to forgive. I don't care how you feel. This is our call from God. This is really important. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't forgive Neither will your father him forgive you. You need to learn to forgive. You must choose this. Yeah. And that person might say, you know, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know, what are you doing telling me what to do? That You're not the boss of me. So there's a real uh, re- reaction to this. Yeah. And again, especially in our culture, because you're infringing on that autonomy or that. And like we said about with male friendships, there's a lot of I'll trust you with your business. And you trust me with my business right. kind of thing. Exactly. So there's a cultural thing that we don't even know. Uh, and our nation was born in rebellion to authority. Yeah. That's how we were born. Then we uh, had, you know, this uh, divine right to take over all this land and to, to you know, transaction, transactionally decide uh, how this should go. And so there's a fierce, fierce, fierce independence. That's divine right, quote unquote. I just want to get. Obviously, yeah. you don't feel that, that was a real divine right. That was a that no. Was a, that's a, that's in quotes. Yeah, that, yeah. That that was the opinion at the time of exactly. people who were doing atrocities in God's name. Uh, so, the aha for me in this conversation is how powerful this could be in the realm of mental illness, anxiety mm-hmm. disorders, uh, non chemical depression. So. Uh, there are depressions that are physiologically initiated. There are others. Situ- that, situational depression. Yes, or, there you go. Yeah. And um, that this isolation, this detachment, this disconnection is a profound problem in today's world. And Jesus is saying there is uh, there is an opportunity for something more. And I wonder, there. It's it cracked me up back when I worked at uh, the newspaper. There was uh, uh, these pages that were, you know, on this day. 
X amount of years ago. So it'd be 5, 10, 15 years ago, back to the 30s. This is as old as it went. Yeah. And some of these would be the social calls. And it would say, you know, uh, Janice and Henry's uh, niece was in town for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went to this place. She's now back home in Everett. That would be, that's the whole thing. Yeah. And so part of it, I wonder, is even not just only America, but current Western society. That even if we, even a hundred years ago, I might have not been so confused with this. I might have looked around and go, yeah, I see that. The fact that the community paper writes when, you know, you have friends over, that's a different world than we have today. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and we have a mental health epidemic and it doesn't take, you know, Freud to tell you that a huge part of that is loneliness. Maybe the main part of that is loneliness. Huge. So I totally see what you're saying. About and, that. and my question is, what, how do we, how do we start so I want to I want to pivot after our break and talk about how might we move toward this and how might we persuade one another that it's worth moving toward for sure. So uh, before that, I want to do my uh, my little uh, show and tell thing. Yeah, go for it. I use an iPad. I, I in the past I've told you guys about a device called the Remarkable Two, which is <laughs> truly remarkable, and I have at least a few listeners who've gone out and bought one, and uh, mine broke. And for a long story that maybe will be a story one day, mm-hmm. uh, why I did not choose to repair and or replace it. So I needed an alternative. And my alternative is to use my uh, my iPad Pro or iPad Air can do this too with the new, the second generation Apple Pencil. And there's an app called Good Notes 5. And I've got to say it is robust. Uh, you can do folders, files. You can um, you can copy and paste out of books right into your notes page. It's all handwriting. Really? Yeah. You can type on the page if you'd rather type. You can handwrite. You can drop in uh, document, uh, copy and paste. Uh, you can drop in live um, web links. Um, and so my journaling has taken on a new robust thing because I can now, and this is, uh, I, I'm, I'm really considering leaving Apple, the Apple family, and I, I've considered this before and sure. not been able to do it, but um, I can on my phone be reading a book, click out a highlight or an article, and then hit copy, and then reach over to my iPad on my Good Notes and hit paste on a totally different device. Yes, and it'll it'll say pasting from iPhone, and it'll drop it right there in my Good Notes. Dang, that's hard to give up. Yes, and so uh, this Good Notes app is I think it's, it's five or eight dollars one time fee. Uh, not a month and it's just the best note taking uh ha- what i loved about remarkable is having i have folders you know so i'll have uh, i have board meeting folders so i take notes during church board meetings i've got a board meeting folder and i can even take parts of our board meeting agenda or minutes and drop it into my folder so I just love it's it, and and I I didn't think I would like writing on glass right because the remarkable's got kind of a texture it has a paper texture to yeah, it, so yeah. that's really beautiful but I actually have fallen in love with writing on glass because they've keep improving the technology of this and that way you don't have to buy any new technology you just have a new app it's exactly. not like a whole other <clears throat> and thing. it syncs with so I have this I have this app on my uh, computer and both iPads and so it syncs to all of them. So my notes are updated on any device. Sure. Uh, it's just a great tool. So if you're going to use, if you're looking for a note-taking tool, that if you like to handwrite, which I do, um, I prefer the analog writing thing. Yeah. 
and you can erase with a double clap of your finger. You can erase what you just wrote. So nice. it's, it's just it's just smooth and robust. So there you go. Uh, that's my deal. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right. Welcome back. Uh, hey, we want to say thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're always remarking on the episode number one, but it's, it's just, it's crazy. 128 is, is far along. It's a long time. And we do have two new patrons since our last, uh, maybe our last two episodes. And so welcome new patrons. We're grateful. Yeah. And I wanted to shout out my um, good pal, Dennis. I told the story of going to his wedding. Oh Yeah. And uh, this culture, so he's uh, Ukrainian, and mm-hmm. his whole, he lives in this uh, community uh, north of Seattle that is basically all Ukrainian Small Ukraine. immigrants. Small Ukraine, exactly. New Ukraine. Yeah, it could be and an embassy. It could be. <laughs> and practically it might be. But uh, the the unity there is crazy. It is, it is exactly like... Uh, what uh, James was talking about. Kind of like my big fat Greek wedding. You know, uh-huh. they're going to throw big parties. They're connected together. They share food. Uh-huh. Uh, it would be that exact thing where if they were to forget Dennis when he was a kid, it'd be because they thought he was with someone else in, right. the, in the deal. And so I just want to shout that out, that this does exist and that it is, it, I think it, it is really a, a cultural thing. But even there, there is more to that than that Jesus is talking about. It's not... It, in his prayer for all believers. Yeah, this is a supernatural thing we're talking about. Right. They have a natural version of that for a couple of reasons. Their culture at home that they came from had a more propensity for that, uh, appreciation and desire for it. Yeah. And they find themselves in a country of, yeah. where they can really help each other. Totally. And so it, it's a it's a functional strength uh, in as immigrants, too. Yeah, if we were in, you know, if we moved to, to China. We would with, find with every American, American, American families. Yeah. yeah. And we'd probably live close together. All our kids would know each other. Yeah. Because, I mean, even just language barriers. And yeah. So so that's a a, a, a good thing. Well, one, just a good thing to bring up. And two, I just wanted to acknowledge that because I have huge respect for it. It's very, I'm jealous of it's it. It's a beautiful a thing. It's, yeah. It is. So let's let's talk about two things, John, is to finish this off. One is um, the why. Sure. Um, how do we reach a decision of saying this is something I should pursue uh, there's a why that's big enough to make me say, okay, I'm going to make, actually make this uh, a goal and a priority. I think it's twofold. Uh, one, Jesus says it himself, is is uh, uh, the, uh, the word I'm looking for, something similar to efficacy, is that it's useful for the for showing the world what God wants and, and the okay. love of God. So it is, and I would argue perhaps it's the most powerful demonstration yeah of the supernatural presence and power of God. That the way we treat each other 
that the world would look at that and go, man, nobody does that. And there's a whole move of people uh, that make me very uncomfortable, frankly, who believe that signs and wonders is that thing. And Hmm. um, so, you know, um, miracle evangelism, power evangelism is what's missing. And if we start raising the dead and healing the sick, I see that this would be this how be, the world will know. Right. And Jesus never said that. No, he doesn't he said, say this is how they'll know. He doesn't say they'll look at your, uh, your the, the works I do through you and they'll know me. He says they'll know through the love right. and, the, and, and the servitude. And certainly uh, healing someone should be an act of love, not just an act of power or right. a demonstration. And this is part of the the subculture of that that does terrify me a little bit. But the point is when Jesus says to to admit, you know, Jesus says in the same book in the same gospel, you know, that you've seen my works and that's why you believe he says, and and if you don't believe you've now seen all that I've done and you still don't believe. So that is, you know, he does acknowledge that as, as a believing power. Yeah, And and we would say that in a world uh, as lonely as ours, as fragmented as ours, as isolated and terrified, fear, anxiety, depression, disconnection, this would stand out like a like a LED blaring spotlight in mm-hmm. a, in a dark dark place like that uh, billboard outside of the uh, uh, Market Fresh at night. You ever you ever headed uh, headed into Tenino from Tumwater at night? I have not. There's that that blind that billboard man. It'll make you drive off the road. That thing is so <laughs> bright. It would look like that. It would and. And so this is what Jesus wants is for us to experience something profoundly powerful for us, but also that would be the greatest witness the world has ever seen. Yeah. So twofold, why would we want this? One is, is just logical uh, sales. It's just, if I'm, if I'm trying to sell what Jesus can do for you in you to you, then look, look at us. You just look Mm -hmm. at us with your eyeballs. It doesn't take, you know, a move of the spirit to see that this would be special powerful, lovely. And then two is, uh, I mean, I think it speaks for itself. It's, 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 it's like asking for a synonym to a word that there's only one word for, right? It's, I think Mm. it speaks for itself. Why that unity would be something you'd want. Well, if it did, we would, I wonder why we don't crave it then. And I think that there is something we don't believe about it necessarily. Although, you know, we know that if you quit smoking, your lungs will do better, but people yeah. keep smoking. Well, I think about it with intimacy in a marriage, because that's even in America, that ideal is culturally shared where you would go, yeah, I want to be, I want to be very, very close to my spouse. Mm-hmm. And so you can profess that and you can think that in your top brain, but you know, I think if you think about it long enough, you know that to reach that level, you got to dig it all up. You got to lay it all on the table and get very, very um, real. And I think a lot of it, this, the distance from you and your spouse, the reason you're not at that level of intimacy that you want is, is the same distance or the same amount of things you haven't yet, um, shared or, or, or given to each right. other. Right. So I would say the missing ingredients would be vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, transparency and confession. Um, also servitude to one another, humility yeah. and giving up your priority to yourself. Yes. And so these are not things that are natural to us and they're not things that we really like to do. And so in the same way, you know, my decision to go to Northwest was that it's worth it to get this connection to leave my home and my comfort and my, my current life in the same way you would have to acknowledge. Yeah. It's, it, it's painful and hurtful and, and very, and risky. sensitive and risky, very risky to, to j- dump your baggage, you know, out where your spouse can see it. 
but it would be the acknowledgement that that would be worth it. And I think that level, that acknowledgement that would be worth it, is not commonly shared I would agree. in our culture. And this is where I've known couples who almost blew up because one of them had an affair. Mm. And because of their decision to fight for their marriage, they started telling the bald, nasty truth to each other. Yeah. They fully exposed who they are to each other because what do we got to lose? We're going to, you know, we've had this it's affair. It's either this or, or know, yeah. And yeah. they and they find their way to the most powerful marriage they've ever known because they had transparency, vulnerability, and exposure. Yeah. Um, if they had chosen that before the affair, the affair wouldn't have been necessary. And so I've heard people say, we thank God for that affair because it pushed us to this place. Right. And the the cry of Jesus is, go to this place without that. Go right. to this place because it is the place where life really happens. And so uh, the urging that I think we're trying to give here is that you and I should want this. We want a community of faith that wants this. We urge believers everywhere to want this. So what is this? The this is oneness and unity. That would be the simple two words for it. Yeah. Oneness and unity. Uh, not uniformity, mm-hmm. not carbon copies, uh, you know. And but, not even being like these cultures, like like uh, Dennis's amazing familiar culture, that is unified. But even above that is unity, is, is, right. is the oneness identity, you know. And I think in Jesus' prayer, this is where I want to finish. This is, sure. This is the, what can we do? Okay, okay, you got me sold. What can we do? How do we take a step? And I think he showed it in his prayer. He said, Father, may they be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Mm. So here's my conviction. The only way for you and me to have unity and oneness is for both of us to have unity and oneness with God. And there's a picture of if you take a marriage, you know, John and Lindsay at the bottom of a triangle. Yeah. You're at the two corners at the bottom and God is at the top point. As you both move closer to God, you also move closer to each other. Mm-hmm. This would be true for the faith community, that that oneness with each other is going to always deteriorate into performance-based and my limited capacity to give you unconditional love. And so uh, what I have to do is I have to, I have to abide in Jesus so that my needs that you normally, that I normally count on you to meet, yeah. are being fully met in him. I am one and whole in him and are you. And then you achieve that that non-conditional love because the needs aren't there. Yeah, I don't need it from John cuz I get it from God. Right. So I can be I can freely allow you to stumble and succeed to offer it to me and withdraw it from me because I understand human frailty and all of those needs are met in Christ. You use this example. I think you said a writer, you you read it somewhere, but that uh, then when a, a, a spouse is cheated on, they say to that spouse, I am so sorry that you were in such a wounded, mm. hurtful, lonely place that you violated your own integrity and made this decision. Right. Instead like of my heart the, breaks for you, yeah, not for me. So the only way that can happen is that we learn to abide in Christ and truly be one with God. When we do that, then oneness and unity with each other actually becomes possible and it too is a supernatural deal it is not humanly possible for us to have this yeah it makes me think of you talked about this recently 
that's again one of those things where you just kind of threw it out there and kept going. And for me, it's been like I can't stop thinking about it. Is uh, uh, the reality that God does not need us. Mm. So the 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 power of, of the Trinity of of the Father and the Son and that relation is that He didn't need us to love. God wasn't lonely. And right. Said, I need someone to love. Exactly. He had love. He had He had it all already. And so the it's more powerful that he did not need us, but wants us. Yeah. And so that reality in these relationships can exist too, where the codependency in a marriage, it, it in a way can look sweet from the outside, but the, the opportunities for just perversion and distortion mm-hmm. are just huge. Manipulation. So, exactly. Even passive, passive aggression. Yeah. Sub- subconscious. Yeah. And so then imagine the power instead of they don't need each other. They truly just want to be with each other even though their needs are met in, in Christ and God, they don't need each other. They choose each other. Right. So I, I'm still, because again, we just talked about the power of this community. So it's not to say that if you were an Island, just Mm -hmm. you and God, and yeah, you get, you're getting your needs met, but that community, that power is still there. It is. So I'm still, because I can't see Jesus, but I can see you. Right. And you, and the, the capital Y you, the body of Christ Mm -hmm. is Jesus on earth. I mean, that's, you know, so that, that miracle is there. I, I'm still, when I think of, if I were to, if I had to write down to the church, this is how we get from where we are now to a more, more unified and more one mm-hmm. in Christ position. I still don't know what I write down. Well, you said something earlier today when we were talking about this potential episode, you said, I think if you were to get the ingredients necessary for this and, and go into a lab <laughs> and create it, what we have is the opposite of that yeah the exact opposite we have all the ingredients that created the antithesis to this so that i i think you're right about that and that means that for us to get to this we have to do things completely differently with a bunch of different ingredients so um so for me it is about um offering what you hope becomes reality so Mm, i see what you're saying so um Often in marital conflict, he will say, man, if only she would. And she's saying, well, if only he would. And yeah. I'm going, well, who's going to go first? Yeah. And they neither one of them wants to go first. And the and reality that if one began, it would it would get the ball it, rolling. It could, in fact, make way for the other. So I think for me, the thing we must do is begin to offer this to people and to go out of our way for people. Now, we've talked a lot about the absence of margin in our lives. Like if you don't have, mm. if you don't have margin in your time, then you'll never make time to do, cause this takes time. This, this yeah. takes sacrifice and yeah, for uh, sure. And presence and connection and it takes doing life differently. I think I know a lot of single adults who would kill for this mm-hmm. and they would say, I don't know where to find this. And I think that's the beauty of the local church. Find a way to begin and begin small. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm watching this kind of happen in our neighborhood and I wouldn't say there's oneness yet. There is a level of unity. Um, but well, and in this, in this wasteland of loneliness, that is contemporary America. This looks pretty amazing. It is. This, this neighborhood. And, and, and it is amazing. And there is mutual sacrifice. If there's a need, someone will inconvenience themselves mm-hmm to serve it. It's beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. So those are the things that come to my mind is, you know, when people, when I was a youth pastor and uh, high school kids would say, I'm, I'm lonely at school. I eat lunch by myself every day, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I gave it the same advice every time and no one ever took it. <laughs> you go into the lunchroom, you find the kids sitting by themselves and you go sit with them and you say, Hey, I'm Jim. What's your name? Is it okay if I ate lunch with you? And if you just found the person by themselves every day and sat with them, it would not be long till you had a posse. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know any high schooler who would take that advice. It is good advice, but I see, I see exactly what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think that's great. You got a takeaway and then we'll shut it down. Uh, my takeaway originally was the needs thing was that, that when your needs are met and, and all that, all that is left is the desire to, and, and the love that you have with people. Mm-hmm. That's the, the purest form of it. Uh, I think all of these things, you know, uh, uh, the proverb, or Psalm says, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. All of these truths are self-evident. So when you look at this and you say, you know, that, that, that going first thing that you said with, with couples specifically, mm-hmm. absolutely true. But in the same way with friendships and other relationships, it is just, I haven't read a study on it, but I know it is true with my lived experience that, uh, that that is how that works. Yeah. That if you're both waiting for the other person to move, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So even though you could say, man, I really wish, that others would come and make this community or that I could find this community and join it myself. Right. The sad reality is that's not the case. So, so the, the truth here is I think that, uh, yeah, you might have to make that first move. And so for me, step one is, and this is an ongoing new thing for me at a whole nother level is just learning to abide in Jesus. Mm-hmm really spending time alone time with God, nourishing your soul with God, learning to listen to God, give extraordinary time to God. I believe that is step one. Step two then is starting to offer this to people and see where that can take you. Uh, that's Those would be my takeaways. Totally. Hey, we're super grateful for listening. Uh, drop us feedback. We'd love to hear it. You can find us on Instagram, Jim and John. No H in the John. We've been getting some really, really great feedback emails. They're one of, yeah, as, as far as this venture, as long as we've been doing this, mm-hmm. they are uh, the highlights of it. I get those and I go, man, I'm really glad, I'm really glad we emails, do this. Mean, those right? emails, yes, yeah. yeah, feedback emails. And and uh, not just, I love the ones that just say, you know, I that did a lot for me. Like, yeah. I really enjoy those. But the ones that say, you know, that almost continue the conversation, bring yeah. it full circle to say, these are the thoughts I had during that. I really, really love those. So they're great, and that's info at jimandjohn dot com. Uh huh. Is and, how you do that? Yeah, and if you so if you have anything, if you were talking back to your speaker mm-hmm. in this episode, uh, let us know what you were saying in an email. We would really, really love. We'd to, love to have love it. to hear it. All right, have a great day. Thanks for listening. 